Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. So hello, everyone, and I'm happy you're with us for another episode of NAPO's podcast, Standout. I'm your host, Claire Kumar, Productivity Catalyst, coming to you from Toronto. And today, we're going to be exploring getting students more organized. Now, I know you might not want to think about it right in this moment, but it can sneak up on you pretty soon. And actually, it's a timeless topic because we're always learning. And our students often struggle with organization and productivity. And if you're like me, you haven't necessarily seen it to a great degree in our education system. I know for me, I would have my two kids, they would come home with an agenda, which was about, you know, slightly less than an inch thick of paper. And sure, there was a calendar in there. But the teachers didn't tell them and enlighten them how to use it. They basically said, here, I'm going to write some notes in for your parents and your parents can write notes back to me. And it was a very heavy note taking device is really what happened there. I think there's such a great opportunity to supplement what kids might be picking up in terms of organization and productivity skills and organizers and productivity coaches out there. We have a role to play. I'm very excited today to have NAPO member Tiffany Blassingame joining us. She's been a NAPO member for over five years. And let me tell you a little bit about Tiffany. She started Simple Organization to help busy adults and their families develop organized solutions for homework and school. She's a divorced parent of a teenage son and a school administrator. So I'm very looking forward to hearing Tiffany's comments about what I just said. She understands the delicate balance between raising children progressing towards your own personal goals, working in your career, and being a good steward to yourself and others. She's a member of NAPO, as I mentioned, and she serves on the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. She's a founding member of the National Association of Black Professional Organizers. She is passionate about helping to create a more just and equitable environment, as am I, Tiffany, so I love that, in both the professional organizing and education industries. Oh, we need a sidebar conversation. I have to... (laughs) to tell you about something going on. So Tiffany is joining us today from Atlanta, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you. So I would love to dive in and well, maybe we can pick up actually about my comment off the top because I wanted to talk about why do we need to help students today? And does it have anything to do with what I mentioned about it? You know, my perception is it's not in the education system to the degree it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with the demands of everything else that teachers and educators are, you know, tasked with, the organization, two things I feel like have gotten pushed to the side, organization and cursive handwriting. If you think about cursive, we don't teach that anymore either, right? It makes me cry. It makes me cry. That that and math tables, memorizing math tables. That's the other one. It's like, you need to do that. You need to give your brain this fast track to the answer. Otherwise, you can't add up five sevens and like you don't have time. No. And that's math that we actually use, right? Yeah. (laughs) The timetable. We use that all the time. Exactly. But yeah, organization has not been something that teachers 
after around second grade, you begin to see that no one is really talking about managing time. The expectation is there, but there is no real guidance with that. And so it becomes either something that the parent needs to take on or the student needs some more guidance and support from someone outside of their traditional team of teacher and parents. And that's where student organizers come in or counselors. There are like executive function coaches and counselors out there who focus on organization as well. Yeah, that's true. The other thing I've heard is that prevalent in the teaching community itself is a lot of executive function challenge sometimes. There could be ADHD and so on in the staff. And so, I mean, it's a profession where you get a lot of personal energy and interaction and stimulation. And so those skills might not be there with the teachers themselves. They might not know. If you happen to have a well-organized teacher, you can observe a lot and it's very helpful, but it's not always the case. That's true. And sometimes that very organized teacher helps your student one year and then the next year they get someone who's not as organized and then you begin to see your own challenges as well. And the same thing happens at home. You know, if you have a very organized parent or caregiver, then, you know, your children seem to be pretty organized, but then they get to high school or college and begin to drop the ball because you were kind of doing a lot with them before they had to become more independent. Yeah, there's a journey in building their own self-efficacy in this. And so it's interesting as we think about helping people and maybe even within our own families, how to, to do it to transfer the skills, not solve everything so that they're not necessarily learning. I know I, I learned a lot from my dad, who was a surgeon, and he was very methodical. I would say, you know, Dad, can we go and play tennis next week on Wednesday night? just a minute, I'll check my calendar. He would always have his calendar in in this pocket in his shirt and he would just, he would pull it out and he would check. And, you know, that was a great principle that not everybody does, but it's a really great practice, right? Right, right. Yeah. So kids need help because they're not taught. And also they have different intrinsic understanding or ability, even in organizing. Would that be fair? Yes. And their concept of time is very different where they're not actually seeing or feeling what five minutes or 20 minutes actually is because everything's so digital, you know, all the clocks are digital. So if you don't have an analog clock in your home or not even at school, then they never actually feel what five minutes feels like or, you know, brush your teeth for this long, right? They have no idea. Yeah, you're right. The time is incredibly abstract and we need that analog medium to help connect to that passage of time. I'm working with an office supply company and we're doing some media segments coming up and I'm bringing the analog clock into the TV segment because it seems so basic, but it's dismissed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what kinds of things then can we do if we're being asked to support the community of students? How should we show up? What should we offer? So there's three things that I really focus on with families. One is creating a routine and understanding that your morning routine begins at night. So (laughs) getting things together at nighttime if there's PE the next day and they need to change, they need a PE uniform, if it's a dance class right after school, all the things that they need, like having it there, 
ready for in the morning. And as parents, modeling that yourself by putting your work bag or your gym clothes that you're going to, you know, after you drop them off, you're going to the gym, you know, model that for them so that everyone isn't in the morning rushing around trying to find what they need or mom or dad, you've helped them get their things together. And then you get in the car and realize you don't have what you need. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the stress hot potato is being passed around in that car. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was just researching and doing a little bit of looking for afternoon, afternoon routine, afternoon, evening routine. Right. And planning is not there. There's homework. There's snack time, there's play time, there's bath time, and then there's bedtime. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're missing the prep for tomorrow time. You need to be conscious about. So you said prep for your morning, which starts the night before. What else? And at that time that you're talking about, I call it a check-in where kids would be expected to do those things you named, like dinner, their chores, their own homework, all of that. But then there's a check-in time as a parent, as a model of what we do in my home is I will then pull up the student information system, whatever that is, where the teachers put all the homework and all that stuff. And I'll say, hey, it looks like you had these things for tomorrow. You know, did you get that done during your homework time? Sometimes it's great. And other times (laughs) it's, oh, I don't know how I forgot that I needed to do whatever. So, you know, that's about an hour before bedtime. So you know, instead of doing whatever it is he would get to do right before bed, before his his bath, then he has to finish that up, right? But I'm not hovering over him during homework time. I can actually do the things that I need for my own self-care and decompressing for the day when he's doing his homework and all of that. So I call that check-in time. And then right after we make sure everything's done, then that's when we plan and get things ready. So that piece of the afternoon routine that you you talked about is called check-in time for me. Love it. Love it. It's so important. And I like that you've allowed this buffer. So it's going to build an intrinsic motivation to be on top of that because mom is going to make me do it in my what would have been playtime or relaxing time or something. It's like, what? I just I just lost that. What happened? So maybe that's I love that. So coming back, so we've got morning routine and check-in. I don't know if I fast forwarded through there, but I want to come back to what you would like to share there. And the the second one is assessing time and and time management, either having a family calendar that's color-coded where you can put everyone's what needs to happen. And especially as we get older and then we have aging parents that we're also needing to put on our calendar and showing that to our children as well of how we care for our family, family members, you know, more of a community. I feel like that's really important for children, but for them to actually see over time, you know, what the month looks like. And, you know, it would be great to go to this birthday party, but this is the day that we're going to help grandma do this, or this is the day I'm taking granddad to the doctor. And so, you know, we're just not able to do that, but helping them to understand the bigger whys of and priorities around scheduling and time management. I love that. And so did you say a monthly calendar? Yeah, a monthly calendar for the family. For the family, 100% on the fridge, in the kitchen, in like a high traffic zone where everyone's going to see it? Or where do you recommend this calendar be? Wherever you feel like most people would see it and actually refer to it. And I think kids get excited about, you know, knowing their color 
dry erase marker, right? Or, you know, seeing what someone else is doing. They like to be nosy too. <laughs> with their siblings. Well, like, yeah, it's interesting because in my own family, I saw the calendar evolve over time. When they were really small and not at school, it was my journal taking where they'd say something funny and I'd write it in the calendar. So it was like, okay, you cracked me up today because whatever, whatever happened. And then it became all of the activities and events and so on. And so everyone could see everything. And I remember, I don't know, there's a lot of labor that gets put on mom in a lot of households in terms of the scheduling thing. And I remember having a conversation with my ex saying, whoever books the first appointment in the evening, the second person has to get the babysitter. It's not always me. It's going to be like, if you haven't got something in the calendar, that was intrinsic motivation for him to get stuff in the calendar. So, <laughs> so it kind of works with kids and other family members I too, right? Yeah. It's like, here, we're going to share. I'm as big on training up the family and the calendar definitely played a role in that. Here's something that came up when I was working with a client though, and her kids were teenagers. And she said, I'm putting a calendar on a fridge now. I do not want them to know when I'm not going to be home. <laughs> uh -huh. She was like, no parties are being scheduled in advance because they know I'm out. <laughs> so, right, right. yeah. So the, the calendar and how it integrates in your life may evolve. Yeah. Right, right. For different people, especially with young adults in the home too. Like so many more young adults are staying home. Or they leave and go to college and they come back home for a while. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what are we? Well, it's, and it, it very much depends on the kids for sure and what they're up to. Yeah. So the calendar, was there something else you were going to say after that? And then managing their energy. And that's a big piece of organizing with students is how do you help them break their projects down into smaller steps, their essays, their science projects, whatever it is that they have that they need to see, like this is the due date and this is the outline of what needs to happen. Where can we put this on the calendar? And that's more of a personal calendar or, you know, reminders in your phone to have these things done. And we do it with little ones as far as like spacing out. We do it for them. But for the older ones, we want to make sure that they have that reminder that you're not exactly on them all the time about it, but they know that they get this sense of urgency that, oh, I have these mini deadlines that lead up to a bigger deadline. Yeah. So you're saying managing energy and you're relating it to sort of this project management piece that says we need to chunk the work down. And some teachers are good at that saying, you know, there's a project, it's six weeks away, but in week one, I would like you have to have completed X, right? A lot of teachers don't do that. Even in post-secondary, it's like it's up to the, often up to the student, or if they've got an accommodation or an individual education plan for a cognitive challenge, they might you know, be in a place where they're having to educate their teacher on what they need, which is, you know, kind of unfortunate, but it's, it's the reality. So, but tell me the connection between managing energy then. So you describe it as managing energy. Why? Because if they wait until the last minute, right, then all of their energy, all of the stress from trying to get that done, all of that goes into their whole world begins to be around this particular deadline. And then they do it again the next month for another one. And then the next month. And then 
the whole school year is just stressful. So if they think about, you know, breaking it down and managing their energy. So you put a little bit of energy toward that, but you still have, you know, other things that you get to do. And then you put a little bit more energy toward that project the next week and you still have energy for other things, then you aren't as stressful. Right. So it's about stress management and anxiety in the in the case of it too. Okay. So we talked about managing energy and along with energy, do you talk at all with families and with kids around sleep by any chance? Yes, we do a 24 hour time assessment. And so we look at if you were getting the correct hours of sleep each night and things that are non-negotiable, right? Your sleep, your school hours, eating, if we plug all of that in, how much time is actually left for free time or the time that you want to play or game or whatever it is that you want to do. And then we kind of lead into, you know, why one that you do have time to sleep. That's number one. And if you manage your energy well, then you aren't staying up late at night trying to finish different deadlines and projects because you have done a little bit over time toward a goal and, you know, how much that that sleep affects that. And especially if they don't have much say over their, if they're not homeschooled, so they have their actual school hours and they don't have as much, if they can't just sleep in in the morning, you know, what do you do with that? What do you do with your time to make what time you do have your own the way you want to spend it? Mm, I like that piece. And while I think this is a conversation that's really for all ages, because there are so many adults that are not respecting sleep enough. So, and when it comes to energy, if you don't have enough sleep, you ain't gonna have enough energy, even to make those mental decisions, right? So it's all related. I was wondering if you touch on that with your family. We touch on like an appropriate bedtime, even for high school students. We talk about the bedtime feature on their actual phones that they could use that as a reminder and then to respect that, you know, to honor that time and honor your body in that way. Love it. Love it. And it's really challenging because one of the things the education system hasn't done in most cases is evolved to respect the circadian rhythm of teenagers, which is later, right? So they're in a really tough spot. Their body cues are telling them, you know what, 9 p.m., you're just like on fire and wide awake. What do you mean I have to go to bed at 11? Like they're cooking. And so, yeah, yeah. And they think they're missing something, right? Like with social media, you know, if I go to bed, like what's going to happen? Who's liking what? What's going on? What video? Well, there is a lot going on at that time because they're wired for it to be. I wish our education system would honor the teen circadian rhythm and start at 10 in the morning. Like I just, that's my, my wish is why couldn't have we had done that in the pandemic, right? I saw my kids were both in, one was in high school, one was in university, but I thought this is the perfect time to do a 10 a.m. start. And to make the self-study in the morning and the group work, you know, towards the early afternoon. Like, ah, I'm puzzled. Right. (laughs) No, I'm puzzled. Like, how did we not that? And how did we not all adopt sign language and learn like as the goal for the pandemic to learn sign language, which I didn't do, but I think it's, it was like the big miss of our, of that moment. Anyway, I don't want to get us off topic. I love. That's been on my bucket list, actually. Has it? Learning sign language. Yeah. Yeah, I think with everybody masked up, it would have helped communication a whole lot to be able to to sign to the class, you know. So you talk about learning strategies to support families and developing a system and providing organizing tools and resources. 
Do you have recommendations or how does an organizer come up with what those are? So I use an executive function skills assessment with my families. And we kind of look at where the strengths lie with the student in those areas and then what areas of growth they have. And then we work from there. If there are issues with organization or time management, then that's where the bulk of our time together is what we're working on. But if they have strengths in metacognition or flexibility, I try to pull those strengths in so that they can use that for those weaknesses. Brilliant. Yeah, because you often see a strength in one area, maybe a deficit, but there may be a strength as well. Just absolutely. And so you have an executive function assessment. Is that something that's available that people could find? Or is that something you have to pay for? How do you come across that? Yeah, so there's a book called Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson. And if you Google, one, you can buy the book, but you can also like Google it and the actual assessment will come up. They have one for teens and they have one for adults. And so you could use that and then figure out where those growth areas lie with that child. And sometimes I also give it to the family. So if the mom says that she also has ADD or, you know, it's just been a real struggle for her. And so it's difficult for her to help her child. I will ask if she would mind taking it as well so that we can come up with strategies that would work for both of them and to see like what's common and then what are some things where they may have different strengths and they can support each other. That's beautiful. I love that. So it was Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson. Is that right? Yeah, brilliant. So we'll make sure that that's in the show notes for anybody who wants to click on a link and get there. I love that because that's the way to kind of get the lay of the land. And the cognitive challenges often do run in families. It often is genetic. So, and especially with women, it wasn't diagnosed because with ADHD and women, it's seen as more ADD. The hyperactivity isn't there. So they were missed for many years. And there are a lot of adult women now finding out, hey, wait, this is why I've been having trouble, you know? So I think there's a wonderful opportunity. I like how you, you're weaving, weaving that together. When you're embarking on serving this population, what kind of time frame do you think it looks like to work with someone? What's the construct of working with a student or a family about these? types of things? So I only do packages for nine weeks or 12 weeks. And nine weeks is about how long a quarter lasts in school. So we look at what progress we could make over nine weeks and what type of habits we can put in place over nine weeks. And then how many times I meet with that student over nine weeks depends on the student. So for some, I'm meeting with them twice and we're like, going over specific things and they're pulling up their student information system. Let's see what's due. Now pull up your whatever calendar that they're using. Can we save it over there? This is when it's due. When do you think you're going to do the outline? When did you say that your group is meeting? And just kind of really, you do the inner voice part of the planning for them. And they are actually doing the planning, but you're kind of like that, the voice that's speaking with them, the one that they haven't taught themselves how to use yet. 
their developing inner voice, the one they, right. that needs to be there, but might not. So it's not the inner critic. But it's this voice you want to cultivate. That's almost that check-in function. It's triggering a self-check-in. Like, am I on top? Do I have all my tasks accounted for? Are they in my calendar? Am I on top of things? Kind of pulse check. So you said in nine weeks, you might meet twice or twice a week? Like, I might meet twice a week. Twice a week. I thought so because I thought twice in nine weeks ain't going to get it. <laughs> it's not going to get it done, right? Okay. Yeah. And so when you're meeting, is that a half hour? Is that an hour? Like, give me an idea of the depth, the, like the amount of time you're spending. So it depends on the student and the age, right? So upper elementary is just a half hour or either older students with ADD or ADHD, it may just be a half hour. But my college students is usually an hour. And then sometimes an average would just be 45 minutes. So I just kind of gauge it on as we meet, what does it look like with that kid? And I, I like to use a lot of brain you know, research and what the studies say around like their attention. And for the most part, like they can sit and listen or work with me for about 20 minutes before they need a break. And so what does that break look like? Or I'm going to give you five minutes for you to work on this part. And then, you know, I want you to unmute yourself or come back on camera and then we'll do X, Y, Z. So it's giving them some time. They don't actually have to get up and leave, but it gives them something else to shift their attention to for a moment before they come, before they come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would see the same with physical organizing. We need, I called them brain breaks. We need stop thinking breaks where we just like your cognitive function is not being called upon. So yeah, very astute. What do you think is the greatest accomplishment you've had working with a student? What's the biggest shift you've been able to affect? Well, I can use my most recent one that I just it just kind of shocked me, right? I worked with a student about two years ago. She's in medical school and she sent a text last week that, you know, oh, I finished up school. I never could have made it without you. You've taught me so many different ways to just stay focused and stay encouraged. And so it's things like that. And I really feel like being an educator, you often get those things years later, right? Like you don't yes. see oh, it yeah. sometimes right then. And I, being a, a student organizer, I feel like it's different than when you're organizing physically because you see the change when you do the work, right? But for organizing with students, sometimes it's years later, but it's something that you've shown them and taught them about themselves that they take with them. And that I think is like, that's what keeps me doing the work. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. And it's interesting because I work now as an executive productivity coach. So it's very similar to what you're doing, a different group of clientele, but it's almost, I recognize people with similar challenges and they didn't get in the education system. And now there are bigger problems that are coming out of not being able to keep a task, <laughs> you know, on schedule and so on. So yeah. And you don't necessarily see the results. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious about kids with cognitive challenges and this concept of self-advocacy and building their skills and also this concept of shame because there's still in some cases, not all, but it depends on the culture you're in of the school environment and the support you have around you, whether you're carrying any shame for that. And I'm, I'm seeing sort of a bit of a tug of war between privacy, nobody should know, nobody has the right to know about some of these challenges and which 
in some ways compounds the feeling that I should be ashamed about it. And I understand why it's also challenging. I'm wondering if you have any comments on whether that comes up in your work and how you help an individual navigate some of that. Yes. The biggest kind of strategy that I use with students is to teach them that you drive the narrative. So what are you comfortable with saying if and when this happens again? Because usually it's something that they haven't been thinking about until it's been an issue, right? And they didn't like how they responded or they didn't like how the other person responded or they didn't know what they could have done or said differently. And my question is, you know, what is it that you want to be able to say? What do you want them to know? And I just let them speak it and and say it. And I take the notes and then I help them come up with their one or two sentence response that they're going to use either when this happens again or to be proactive, right? So the next time I have an instructor or a professor, I want to tell them this about me and this is how I want them to know. Or the next time they forget that I should have had extended time or whatever it is, this is how I'm going to respond. I don't have to shrink back. I can drive the narrative myself. It's so important. It's so important because I see that there's a lot to building that confidence and practicing it in a safe space. So kudos to you for, for building that piece. And I love that. What else would you like our organizing and productivity audience to know about serving this group of clientele? So the last word for this, for this episode. I'd love for them, for just the audience to know that it's organizing with the students and not getting the student organized or doing it for them. And sometimes that's difficult for families, parents to understand, right? They call you in to just get my child organized. Fix this. Right. Fix this this problem. Right. Right. They're not listening to me. (laughs) But helping the child understand that I'm organizing with you. I'm your coach. Just like you have a coach, a tennis coach, you know, they guide you, they show you, they practice with you. But when you're out there, at the actual match, you have to do it on your own. In tennis, they can't even say anything. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Nobody can say anything. Yeah. So knowing that, you know, you're there to coach and to guide, not to do for them or put your ideas of of or their parents' ideas of what they want, you know, for them, but to teach them how to use their own strengths to really be their authentic self and show up that way. If, the, if it's a creative kid, like let them be creative, like find a planner for them that has blank pages in the back or somewhere on the side or, you know, whatever that is, like don't take those special pieces that make them the unique person that they are away. I love that. My daughter's super creative and she just figured out the bullet journal and it's like a work of art, this thing. You know, I, I think it's taken hours to do too, but there's been joy in the process. And so I love that you're making room for that. Tiffany, it's been really insightful. I hope everybody listening has, you know, got some strategies to support clients or perhaps people in your own life to organize with them. I love that sentiment. It's going to make for a a stronger generation of really capable people who won't suffer a lack of confidence in keeping it together in a really busy, stressful world. So Tiffany, what gems, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for allowing me to share. 
Yeah, it's been great to have you. So for all you listeners to the Stand Up Podcast, please let us know what you think. Send a review at one of the podcast sites. Let us know how you feel. Reach us on social media. We post regularly and we'd love to have some feedback. Like Tiffany said, you know, sometimes you don't hear for years how things are going and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. How is this podcast making a difference in your life? Is it giving you a gem? Is there something that you used with a client? Please share so that to our NAPO call and those who are interested in the organizing and productivity profession will learn of the value that's to be had by being part of this community and what we do here at Standout as well. So again, everyone, please be safe, take care of yourself and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Standout brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.